When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello, Chris Evans here with your latest installment of the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky from Virgin Radio. Coming up, top music ace Tom Grennan spills the beans about his secret sporting skills ahead of this year's Soccer Aid on Saturday the 4th of September at the Etihad Stadium. Tickets available now. The slightly worse for wear, Rob Beckett picks up his phone to recall his experience of the England versus Germany Euros match the morning after the round of 16 match the night before. Bake Off's creme de la creme, Candice Brown makes our mouths water with incredible recipes from her new cookbook, Happy Cooking. And Crystal Palace's Andros Townsend was brilliant when he popped down the corridor from TalkSport to relive England's big Euros win against Germany. All of that and so much more to come now. Dapper Dave, tell us who is first. If it wasn't for the pop star thing, our next guest could have spent his life on a football pitch, which is perfect because Soccer Aid is back for another fundraising kickabout later this year. And here to tell us about playing matches is a man known for lighting matches. It's the singer who could be playing winger, Tom Grennan. Hey. All right, Tom. Hello, hello. I'm in direct very well. And you've come in to talk to us about football. Yes. This yes. is so cool. First of all, a little word about Elton John, uh, um, the man in our tent, in our field on Saturday night. I'm so jealous. Me, I know you are. And I'm if, so I jealous. Said if I'd have, if I had your number or a phone, which yeah. I, and I don't have either, um, I mean, I could have your number. You don't and not have a phone. phone. No, no, I've not had a phone for two and a half years. Oh wow, you are living the good life. Exactly. Well, see, this I is why. I wish I could do that. The, well, you can. I know friend. I you could. You can, uh, but you've give, given up enough for, for a yeah. while. So, yeah. <laughs> so that, maybe that's the next chapter. But yeah. um, you know, you 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 were nodding your head there when I'm talking about you know older artists still mm. smashing it. Yeah. Something happens, you know, when they get and you, like yourself when they stand behind a microphone. When you stand behind a microphone, you are. Quite a superpower which I presume is unavailable to you until you're in that situation yeah. what's that transition like are you aware of it um yeah do you know what? I had a little gig the other night on Saturday in Brighton and I was like oh my gosh I've forgotten how to do this I've forgotten right. how to do it as soon as I stepped on stage and like opened my, my mouth and started singing it all kind of come back to me and I was like this is where I belong and I think like yeah it does run through your veins and I don't know what it is and I can't explain what it is, but it is something. And it's like the best feeling I've ever experienced. And it's a different energy, isn't it? It's or a it's, different energy, it's for a high, sure. It's, a, it's literally a higher power, isn't it, I suppose? Well, yeah, I, 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 I think it's like a drug that can't ever be taken by anybody else apart from yourself. And you, you can't explain it, but... When you when when you when it's in your body, it's a whole completely different vibe. Uh, Tom, we're here to talk to you about football, right? Yes. And apparently, you, you're quite good at it. I'm all right. I'm, Tell us, I think well, I'm you're all more right, than all right. Tell us about your footballing history. I played football from the moment I could walk. Really, I played for like Bedford Town, where I'm from, and then I ended up playing for Luton Town. Played for Northampton and Stevenage, and I was playing for the academies, and then. It got dropped and then I just didn't get better. And then I was going to go to America and play. Right. Because I got offered a scholarship to go out there. And that was when I was about 17, 18. And then I was like, this isn't for me. I feel like football is just a bit long. Um, <laughs> but, and I didn't want to leave my mum, to be honest. I right. felt like America was too far away and my mum, I needed my mum still. Uh, so then I kind of found music and then kind of put football on hold and 
still still play on a Thursday night and stuff like that. And yeah, football now has come back into my life with Soccer Aid. And I'm so buzzing because I feel like my dream was to play at like a big stadium in front of people. And now Soccer Aid has kind of asked me to play with them and it's such a great cause and I've watched it on TV for so long. When I watch it, I just I always buzz up because you see old <laughs> players playing again. Yeah, yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? So like, I'm playing against Paul Scholes and Wayne Rooney. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Me. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's going to be fun. <laughs> um, so you say that, you know, soccer just felt, football felt a bit long. Well, yeah, well, I've, I don't think it felt long. I just don't think I got better. I no, didn't I get... like it. I like the description yeah, long. Yeah. Because you were at the um, England-Scotland game. How long did that feel? <laughs> long. <laughs> It was like watching paint dry. It was like watching paint being made. Yes, it and was. Then, and then, pre- then, then manufactured, then packaged, yes, and then, then was, retailed, yeah. then then bought, yeah. and then painted with, and then dried. Yeah. Do you know what, though? It was nice seeing like the Scottish fans like really, really up Thank for God it. for the Scottish fans. I know. If there was no Scottish fans, jeez. Your CrossFit training. Yeah. You wouldn't CrossFit... If you're a professional footballer, you wouldn't CrossFit as much as you do because it no. would affect your physicality in an unhelpful way. Yeah. Are I'm you just... going to Are you gonna hone your, your normal... Because you're a very mm. fit guy nowadays. <laughs> are you going to change the way you, you train? Um, Probably not, nah. Like, I know that I play football on a Thursday night and I'm probably going to start on a Monday. So I'll be doing two, two lots of two football. Sessions. Two sessions of football yeah. a week. And then carry on with the CrossFit. And then when we go in to do soccer aid, there's five days of like pure, which pure is, training. Which apparently is a right laugh. Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> I cannot wait. It's not pure training. Yeah, no. From what I've heard, it is not pure training. No, I've heard that as well. But um, I'm looking forward to that oh, it's as well. Gonna be, well, you're in the bubble, aren't you? You're yeah. Because we did the thing, because Anton Deck once did this thing called the All-Star, All-Star Cup, which was the slave equivalent of the Ryder Cup. Mm. And we went to Celtic Manor for that. And we had like, we got there on the Monday yeah. for, you know, from so, for some coaching. Yeah. And then we started <laughs> playing golf on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but that's what had... I've heard is just pure golf yeah well yeah. the the golf event that they staged for us called the All-Star Cup at Wales it, I think it saw the biggest crowd uh, biggest Friday crowd for any golf tournament ever in Britain 55,000 people turned up on the Friday to, wow. watch, to watch us Muppets and they, they flanked the fairways as if we could hit the ball straight <laughs> because we looked the pipes like several people might get killed here <laughs> um, and who's in Robert um, Rob Lowe Worst golfer of all time. Played like a man with no arms. Let me tell you about this. Right? It was unbelievable. And I said to him, after like the first half, I said, have you actually ever played golf before? He said, not really. I said, well, you, you can't. And we had to stop him driving off. We, we just, just struck the ball 100 yards down the fairway, please, for the sake of the insurance mostly, yes. Anton yeah. Deck's career, all that kind of stuff. But it was all going on. It's fantastic. Um, so you, you'll get in the bubble five days beforehand. Um, what are you doing in between now and then? Um, I am hopefully going on tour. Oh, no, that's after. Um I don't really know. Just in the studio, I'm writing. I keep like I haven't stopped. I'm looking at a third album, right? And I'm just carrying on working. Yeah. Okay, and you are CrossFit training alongside Vassas. I mean, Vassas says like now, like you're his gym buddy. You know, yeah. he makes all these stories about about Mate, Tom Grennan. You should see him deadlift. It's <laughs> it, he can he can deadlift oh, quite a lot. Don't say this. Don't say this. Don't say this. No, 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 yeah. really? Yeah. More than you? More than you? Yeah. Oh, no! Yeah, yeah. Tom, uh, Tommy's on to talk about uh, Soccer Aid. Tickets on sale now. Soccerade.org slash tickets. Uh, Tom, it's great to see you again. Thank you so much for having me. Legend. Are you training this morning? I am. I'm off to 
off to the gym now. You're going to skip off hand in hand into yeah. the sunset, you two? Are you coming down as well? I might see you there, yeah. yeah love it. No, look at him shifting in his chair all of a All right, you're awesome, Tom Grennan. Thank you so much. Soccer love Aid's you. awesome. UNICEF is awesome. Get tickets now. Soccerade.org slash tickets for September 4th, Etihad Stadium. The most fun you can have on and around a football pitch. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. As England were getting down to it with Germany, our next guest was getting on it with his mates. We didn't lose, but he did booze. Please welcome a comedian that can go mojito to toe with anyone. It's the bleary-eyed boy, Rob Beckett. Good morning, Rob. Morning, Chris. <laughs> I'm struggling. <laughs> well, you deserve it. Um, but you had the time of your life. What was it like? Uh, the atmosphere, Chris. Well, every time I think about it, I smile. This, it was like half full, but it was the best atmosphere I've ever been in any sport event. I think the year and a half people have had, two years, it was just such an amazing moment. And to beat Germany at home, oh, it was unbelievable. It's worth all the hangovers in the world. It was amazing. All right, tell us what time you got there, who you went with, how you decided on your outfit, which I loved, by the way, uh, your choice of top you. and hat on the telly. <laughs> tell, tell us about the setup first, then we'll get into the game. Well, the setup was, was my mate Lloyd Griffith, comedian Lloyd. He's very good on the UEFA app, so we just got normal tickets, like, um, in the stands on the app. And he sorted all that out, and I had to do so much admin, Chris. You've got to do a, you had to take your passport, you had to do a test, all sorts. And then, yeah, I decided on the UN 96 top, the jacket, bucket hat, and then we jumped on the train, got there, and soaked up the atmosphere. And I'll be honest with you, I can't remember a lot, Chris, but everyone in the country seems to know I'm hungover. <laughs> all right, well, the you're... The school was brutal. Yeah, and it's... I got to the day, the teacher went... <laughs> Oh, Mr. Beckett, I didn't think we'd see you this morning. I feel like I'm in trouble. <laughs> or ever again. Um, right, so tell us how you felt in the first half. The atmosphere in the first half was a bit tense, but we were quite relaxed because England sort of were in control. And then and, and then everyone was still a bit nervous. So a few beers were drunk uh, <laughs> at half-time. And then the second half, I think the second half was the greatest 45 minutes of my entire life, <laughs> including marriage and children being born. And I will stand by that. I cannot express to you the joy I felt. I feel empty. I'm like a costume of a man now. I've got nothing but memories. I've got, it's, all, it's out of me, Chris, everything. Yeah, you stand by it now because you're still, well, you're still in a certain um, chemical, uh, I don't know, of a certain chemical disposition. But when you do... No, I, I stopped drinking last night about half dead and then I went to a chicken shop and I ate chicken on the floor next to a bin and do you know what I've never been happier alright ok I do believe you um, were you how, how I mean we were all very happy to see Jack Grealish uh, take to the field you know yeah. not that the start, there's anything wrong with the starting lineup. it's just that we, we have re, we genuinely have for the first time in a long time an embarrassment of riches on the mm. bench what was it like when Jack uh, was called onto the field of play it's weird he's, he's becoming such a sort of fan favourite that even when he's facing flashes up on the screen yeah. people scream like he's a pop star it's, it's mad and I think I think people a lot of footballers are so sort of serious and don't give anything away in interviews he's so open I think people see themselves in him and actually love him yeah so uh, we scored the first goal Raheem Sterling scored uh, the first goal our man of the mm. tournament if not the man of the tournament great effort long range effort in the first half as well but then that back pass oh that the, the Muller the Muller the Muller incident yeah. oh my god that, again, was one of the worst moments. And then, when he missed, I, I know you should take joy from people not succeeding, but I really did take joy. 
Yeah, I like to talk in the game about that, but when he missed, I was so happy. But that, oh. yeah, that was like a goal. That he missing that. All the right. The and then um, Captain Harry uh, sealed the deal two uh, 0 and then it just went off. It went off on the telly oh. and went off in the stadium. It went off in the whole nation in various parts of the world. What was that like? Yeah, that it, it was just it was like an explosion of people. Basically, everyone just everyone just jumped. I went crazy, and then it was yeah, it was it was it was carnage in there. But then immediately everyone panicked again because we're English, we're always losing to the Germans. Even two new up at home, we were still worried in the last five minutes. But yeah, when the final whistle went, I've never seen or felt anything like it. Because yes. my phone, I, my phone was dead. I lost it. I lost stuff. I don't, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I need to check on my wallet and stuff. I still have a check there. <laughs> uh, right. So Rob, the game finishes, and it's very difficult to out celebrate something that was in itself a celebration. Um, yeah. And what time did you actually get home? I'm not very good at telling the time when I get a bit tipsy mm. because I've got a watch that hasn't got numbers on. It's right. just got you know, it's just a hand and my little line. Yeah. So when it gets to about half nine, I don't know what the time is. So I can tell you. <laughs> but when I've had the beer and it gets to half nine to half eleven, right. um, I, I don't know what, I don't know. You know when you go to your bank statement to work out when you took money out yeah. or what I bought, I'm going to have to go through my, my phone and email to work out where I was. Right, now, um, a pal of mine has John Bishop playing at eight o'clock in a comedy gig in Marlow on Saturday night. That's not going to happen, is it? What, the comedy on Saturday, Marlo? Yeah, it's... Oh, yeah, because of the game. No, oh, no. That's not going to no happen. Gonna go. No one's going to go. No, I think people will turn up, and I think John will turn up. I think they just have to move the comedy forward. Um, it's due to open at six. They need to open it at four, and then John sticks around, and you watch the match with John Bishop. Now, obviously, you can get to Rome, but you can't watch any football because you can't come out of your hotel till no. uh, Tuesday. I might go there just to watch it in a hotel. <laughs> That's what people are saying. Um, <laughs> what we've said to our pals at The Sun and on Talk Sport is they need to go front page tomorrow with uh, Britallians so English people living in Italy your country needs you to buy a ticket yes. and be at that stadium what do you reckon? 100% we need to they were, they were, the support was amazing at Wembley we need to carry it on so yeah, anyone who's in Italy get to the game Alright what will you be doing how do you orchestrate your um, your quarterfinals viewing on Saturday do you think? Basically my wife's away with her um parents they're going uh, they're going to like a away with the kids somewhere for a night i've got a gig in the afternoon that's because i didn't schedule it because i knew the football was on so i'm doing a little gig in the afternoon so i think i might have a few friends around and watch it in the garden cool. and have a bit more of an i haven't got the energy for another one of those nights <laughs> this time. so i'm 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 having a rest and right. then i'm going big again on the, i've got tickets to the semi and the final listen have a great day thanks for, thanks for taking our call no worries mate thanks speak to you later you're Bye. awesome the best of the chris evans breakfast show with sky on Virgin Radio. As England woke up and realised it wasn't a dream, our next guest was up and broadcasting to the nation on TalkSport. He knows a thing or two about the beautiful game and it doesn't get much more beautiful than yesterday. Is it coming home? Let's ask Crystal Palace's own Andros Townsend! Morning, Andros! Morning. what a great introduction. How are you this I'm morning? very good, happy and cheerful, like right. yourself. Tell us about last night, tell us what it was like in the stadium. Oh, honestly... I've played at that stadium when it's full capacity and I must say when we scored that first goal that's the best I've ever heard Wembley and we're talking about there was only 40, 42,000 there it was an unbelievable atmosphere it was incredible right. Tell us your thoughts before the game um, when the team was announced um, the players available to Gareth Southgate you know Gareth's thinking anyhow yeah. as the England manager he's now been in charge close to 100 games if not 100 games how did you feel about his selection tell us about uh, the opening 20 minutes how that landed for you just give us your yeah an insight into your insight last night of course I must say I was worried about the game we're talking about Germany a team who always seems to get the better over us 
Um, I like the formation. I like matching up um, Germany with a three at the back. I think it gives you a better flexibility in game to get your fullbacks higher up the pitch and still be um, resolute at the back. And I think we started that way. I think Germany started the game more defensively solid. They had a five at the back and the two midfielders didn't move. They were denying Harry Kane any of the ball. They were denying Sterling and Saka any of the ball in, in good areas. So I think Germany actually implemented the formation a lot better than England, but England were braver. Um, Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice, they were coming out of their slots. They were pressing the German uh, midfield. And I think in the end, that bravery won us the game. How did you feel halfway into the first half? <sighs> Again, I was nervous because even though we had the better of the chances, uh, we had the better of possession, it's Germany. And I was just always <laughs> worrying that the longer this game goes on at nil-nil, it's Germany and they will break our hearts. How well do you know the, the, the members of the, of the squad? Um, I've played with most of them in the squad, actually. I've either played with them or played against them last season in the Premier League. So I, I know them all pretty well. All right, and who have you been in contact with during the Euros? I've left them. I've left, left them, them, yeah. I've been in that position where you have everybody messaging you. You don't need that. You don't need somebody you played with five years ago messaging you. Good luck. So I've left them to it. Thankfully, I got to speak to a few of them after the game. Tell, tell us who and what you said to them. No, I was pitch side and uh, John Stones walked over. Kieran Trippier walked over. So, yeah, I just gave them a quick congrats. Obviously, with COVID, you can't do much. So I gave them quick congrats, wished them good luck for the Ukraine game. And then they went on to their families. But, yeah, it was nice to speak to a couple I of mean, them. I mean, what a team, but what a squad we have. You know, all that. I mean, it, it is a very, you know, the, the depth of talent goes all the way, doesn't it? It's actually frightening. You look on that bench last night, there was Foden, Mason Mount, there was Jack Jack Grealish three players in another era they're the first names on the team sheet yeah. so the fact that Gareth Southgate has the luxury of keeping them on his bench will only do us good um, as we go further into the tournament uh, cool calm customer the team seemed to be really happy we we're talking before about the fact Jack Grealish wasn't in the starting 11 but on the you know during the warm up there mm. didn't seem to be any resentment or resistance to that he was happy he was smiling he was smiling when the warm up finished and he was walking in the tunnel not to take to the field mm. as part of the starting lineup. and you know Raheem Sterling play, just playing with a smile for the whole match and he's been like that all the time there's a lightness about them Harry Maguire uh, fist bumping chest bumping fellow defenders for blocks yeah. and, and tackles as if they'd scored yeah. you know that is real galvanisation isn't it I think that's the culture Gareth Southgate's created he's been there he's played for England he's played at a major tournament he knows the pressures that come with it so he's created a real relaxed vibrant atmosphere and like you said you can see that seep into the performance last night yeah, and the thing is, you know, he's very avuncular, he's very affable. He seems like a very caring human being. I know him a little bit, um, but he seems just like like such a balanced individual, you know, and I suppose some people's fears w were that, you know, he, he isn't sort of garrulous enough, you know, mm. he, he isn't so, so much of a, a rumbunctious um, sort of disruptor, but maybe that's what we yeah. needed. Maybe we needed a conductor for our amazing orchestra. Yeah, and I must say, I was one of those when he first got the job. I was worried that he wouldn't be able to handle the big names, but I think um, in his second squad, um, a few of the boys went out drinking, let's say, um, and he disciplined them, he dropped Wayne Rooney, and that's when I thought, right, he's got the respect, he's not afraid to make the tough decisions. And on the other side, like you said, he's a very caring person. I was in two squads with him, always talking to me, seeing how I was, talking about my, my form at club level. So I think he's got it all because he's played, he knows how to deal with the, the international scene. So he's been unbelievable for England. So you were around fellow pros um, last night after the game, mm -hmm. you know, not necessarily the, the team themselves, but obviously uh, you did have communication with them. What was the after-match after, after match chat like between you guys? I was there with Ashley Cole um, and he said the same. He said he'd never seen an atmosphere as good as that 
we were dreaming about possibly a final. Ashley went to major tournaments, never really got um, to a final where he wanted to get to, but he was saying that there's a real possibility of getting to a final now. And us as players, ex-players, we can dream, but those players in the England squad, they can't think beyond Ukraine on Saturday night. What time did you get home? Uh, about 10 o'clock. You look very fresh-faced, I've got to say, because <laughs> um, you're up from working this morning. Yeah. Um, Jose Marina said on TalkSport yesterday, it might feel like a final, but actually, uh, you know, in many ways, every time we play Germany uh, in international competition, it's such a special occasion. But he did also say, logically, it's like a semi-final, because if you win this match, <sighs> it's not plain sailing through yeah. the quarters and the semis, but the hardest work has been done on paper. On paper, but if I think back, France got knocked out to um, Switzerland, Switzerland. Yeah. Uh, Netherlands lost to Czech Republic, Hungary proved to be a shock in, their, in the group of death. So the smaller sides are finding a way to frustrate the top nations. So if it's you, when it's Ukraine on Saturday, if it's Denmark in the semi-final, these guys are going to be finding a way to frustrate our, our talented front players. So we put an appeal out this morning. We think the sun should go front page with it tomorrow. I want you to take this back to TalkSport and TalkSport 2. Mm -hmm. Britallians, people who are in Britaly. Apparently there are a few hundred thousand um, expats, English expats yeah. who live in Italy. We need you we to do. buy a ticket for that game. We need at least 15,000 people to get to that game who are able to, to support England. Can you take our campaign back to TalkSport, please? I will do. Do you yes. get it? Do you get it? Your country needs you because we can't <laughs> yeah. go there. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thank you, Andros. Thank you. Thanks so much. Uh, lots Cheers. of love. Great to see you. Andros Townsend, live and direct from TalkSport. Boom! The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We've already heard from a handful of magnificent guests on this, the Virgin Radio podcast for the best bits of the breakfast show with our pals at Sky, but there's still plenty of gold to come. Football writer Ben Littleton delves into the beautiful game by his book 12 Yards, The Art and Psychology of the Perfect Penalty. Writer and broadcaster Melvin Bragg showcases the work of bright young things, the creative Brits who are carving out the future of what we get to watch and read and laugh at in the four-part series Return of the South Bank Show on Sky Arts. Former long-distance runner and founder of the Great North Run, Sir Brendan Foster, celebrates the race's 40th anniversary. All of that and more still to come, so let's get right back to it. Dapper Dave, who's next? She'll be cooking up a storm at this year's Car Fest, but before that has the small matter of a new book. The brilliant Happy Cooking is out now and here to put a smile on our faces, a spring in our step and some lovely grub in our bellies is the best Bake Off ever gave us. It's Candice Brown! Well, she really is. I mean, she really is the best thing uh, Bake Off ever, ever gave us. And she's brought some amazing things in today. Uh, stand by for another sugar high, uh, kids, uh, because uh, what have you brought in this morning, Candice? Hi! 
I'm so Hi. happy to be here. Um, I have bought Rocky Road cookies. Rocky Road cookies. Yes. Okay, take us through these. Where did they come from? So they are from my book, but obviously, like with everything, disorganisation is an issue with me. I didn't have any cocoa. So like I say in the book, you can swap things out, add them in. So this is what so we've got. Biscoff in there, pistachios, Oreos. Um, obviously, other biscuits are available. Um, <laughs> uh, dried cherries. Oh, they're just delightful. Some of them still warm because I made them this morning. But you are like bridging the canyon between baking and cooking. You're cooking a lot more as well yeah. as baking, aren't you? Yeah, so tell us really about that am. journey for you. I really am. So obviously coming out of Bake Off, people wanted cake um, very much so. They were like, I couldn't turn up and just like do a shepherd's pie, could I? Although I did manage to get one in the first book. But um, yeah, they wanted cake. It was all about the baking. But actually, I, I love food. I love everything about it. And I cook all the time. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not a... Uh, a finesse chef but um, I love big flavours and messing around with things and whacking it all in and hoping for the best and yeah that's kind of the food that I do but also quick and easy stuff um, Were you a baker before you were a cook or a cook before you were a baker is it even Stevens? what I do you know, think I, I still say I'm a cook I, I, I don't think I could call myself a baker because I look at people like Richard Bertineau and people like that who are actual real master bakers You're right and um I can't call myself that. All right, so in the book, um, we have the brand new Candice um, cookbook out, Happy Cooking, yeah. and um, it gives you top three. If you had to oh, sell gosh. your book on top three um, recipes in the book, yeah, what would it be? Yeah, it's, it's a funny one because there are so many in there and there is a lot of, there's a lot of savoury in there um, and there really is different bits for well, different Well, I don't know, you have a think about it. Um, Rachel, what caught your eye? So the... what I really loved and what I haven't seen before in other cookbooks and what works brilliantly for me in my lifestyle is you have a couple of recipes where you do that recipe and it's a double page and you look at it then you turn the page and you tell me what to do with the leftovers. Yes, they are. That's Genius. That's, that's what I wanted to do because it's, it's about it's a lot about my mental health as well and I think I've struggled with mental health um, depression PTSD um, phobia and then last year I got diagnosed with ADHD which is a lot to do with the organisation and everything like that so the book was kind of founded around that and those different things and one of those things was food one day and then just not having time or wanting to bother the next day so actually making two for one and yeah that was a real big thing so things like having roast lamb on a Sunday or whenever you want to have a roast and then making a stew or a casserole with the leftovers and things. So, and of course, those stews yeah. and casseroles get better and better the longer you keep them. The longer you keep them, more flavour, and then just cooking them down even more, so it's really, really melting. Which is how restaurants work, isn't it? That's why the stews come on the menu two or three days after the Sunday because they've got stew. the leftovers it's going. Comfort, isn't it? It's just comfort, isn't it? Just Yeah, bowl. and uh, I can never forget remember the word. Um, you know what? It's cogitates. We have this conversation all the time. What happens when stews? Congeal. Congeal, that's it. Congeal. I was going to say calcify, but that's probably what your arteries do while you're having the stew, I'd imagine. Um, do you have any headline recipes that caught your eye, Rachel? Um, I, what I really liked as well is that you've got, um, in one section, you just do roast beef, roast lamb, roast pork. Yes. And it's just, actually, sometimes something that is a really should be or in your head you think that's just a really simple thing I should know how to roast a joint of beef but actually I just want a really straightforward recipe yeah. from a cook that I really trust <laughs> who's not going to ask me for 47,000 different ingredients that I don't have cooking shouldn't be stressful it shouldn't be like you have to order something from Himalayan salt direct from the Himalayas <laughs> although it's nice it's lovely we've got yeah. Himalayan salt but waiting, waiting it's good for you as well oh, I know incredible but like waiting three weeks for an ingredient or having to go to several different shops to get those if you haven't got something just whack something in or like something else in and you know what? if it doesn't work it doesn't matter just either don't tell anyone or if it looks rubbish just eat it with your eyes closed <laughs> alright Ozzy Jane's here uh, Ozzy Jane's loves a cookbook um, you took Candice's book home what do you think oh my goodness it's amazing there's so many British recipes and um 
eye, it caught my eye, the apple and blackberry uh, fool, which I've never made or had. So I thought, I'll give it a go. Why did you choose to include that, Candice? Just ease. Like, so there's, I think this comes from the, the section of sort of quick and easy. And it's sort of half an hour, sweet and savoury things. But things, if you you want to do a pudding or you want that real sweet here. And it's it's a bit of a, a British tradition. And I think, I don't know, I quite like the word fool. Like, I've made a pudding. What is it? It's a fool. So um, <laughs> more probably because I quite like the word. But I like the word bunt as well. So that's in there as well. You've got a whole section on nostalgia food. What fun must that have been putting together? Oh, I love, I love nostalgia. And I love the thought behind food as well and again the same thing with this was a very different cookbook because it was it was about the mind as much as kind of the food and and one of the things for me is um food should invoke memories and it should invoke nostalgia and and it's things that maybe i'd had as a a, as a child in school dinners or something nan used to make and nan's always been a big part of my kind of cooking and and baking um the most uh the most uh, sort of profound of uh our senses apparently when it comes to our memory is smell you know you can you know you go back to your old school and the first thing that hits you is the smell you go oh yeah Yeah. this, this is this smell is my childhood yeah. which is so important when it comes to cooking it really really is and one of those one of those things and the big things for me was um, my granddad granddad um, had our Alzheimer's and being an ambassador for Alzheimer's research and things when we've we've done bits and pieces and things like the marathon obviously a lot slower than you guys Chris but um, granddad had that and food was such a big part in almost bringing him back to us and back to me because of wow. something he would taste or smell and we'd get granddad back just for that little bit and it's Aww. such a big thing and I think it's it's so so important um <sighs> but for mental health I think it's important to 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 hold on to those memories and things like that because for me I have the most horrendous dark days I still do but actually food can can bring me back actually whether it's the process whether it's doing something with my hands whether it's something that's come out well and I go actually no I'm all right at this um it's breaking the loop isn't it it's breaking the loop of doom you just have to literally get in with a pair of metaphorical scissors and cut it off completely and it's like it never happened almost yeah and it is and it's whether it is the process whether it's the eating of it whether it's planning ahead whether it's making someone else happy it's it, food always, has always been about that for me and I think last year showed that more and people were gravitating towards the kitchen right. and using food as as therapy this as is I've always done a joyous book Candice thank honestly you. I know I'm your mate and all that but, oh, but this no but this is joy, it's joyous it's oh, a joy you. it's a joyous cookbook it might be the most joyous cookbook that's ever been written oh, Candice you. Brown happy cooking it is out now the best of the Chris Evans breakfast show with Sky on Virgin Radio the hearts pounding, the palms are sweaty, and that's just the crowd. Imagine how the players feel. Well, read this book, and it might give you an idea. 12 Yards, The Art of and Psychology of the Perfect Penalty is out now. And here to tell us all about it is Kylian Mbappe's new favourite writer. It's Ben Littleton! Morning, Ben! Hello, Chris. Congratulations on this book. Uh, what a magnificent uh, masterpiece it is. I heard you on TalkSport yesterday, and I thought, I've got to get this guy in tomorrow. So thank you for, so much for taking our call, Ben. I really appreciate it. A pleasure. Right, so your book, 12 Yards, it's... <laughs> All about penalties. Now, I didn't know what was going to happen last night, of course, as far as the France-Switzerland game is concerned. Let's start there. Um, It was a pretty good penalty shootout, wasn't it? Well, it was, but there were some clues as to why the ultimate result happened, which is France losing. And that is Switzerland won the toss and elected to kick first. Now, if you win the toss, you should always kick first because there was a 60-40 chance that you would go on to win the shootout. Because as we found out, if you are kicking second in the shootout, to avoid defeat, 
the chances of scoring that penalty are far lower. And that is indeed what happened to Kylian Mbappe. He had to score to keep France alive, and he missed. And there's another reason why uh, he might have missed, and that is something to do with the reaction times of the players after the referee blows the whistle. So the referee blows the whistle to say, you can take your penalty whenever you're ready. And all the France players waited at least three seconds before they started their run-up, except Mbappe, who was looking nervously at the ref before he blew his whistle. And as soon as the ref blew his whistle, he started his run-up. And that extra second or two that puts you in control, allows you to have an extra breath, can make all the difference. And it's one of the reasons why I'm bullish about England's chances in a shootout going forward, because England have won their last two penalty shootouts doing exactly that. Now, we know that in the past, England have lost six of their last seven, or six of their first seven shootouts, including two against Germany. But since Gareth Southgate took over, he has accepted and admitted and revealed something that's been in my book, which is that penalties are a trainable skill that can be improved and taught and worked on. And one of the things that England players do is they take their time after the referee blows their whistle. Because in the past, they didn't. They used to rush it. And that's a sure sign of stress. It's a game of psychology, this. You know, if you're good enough to play for your country, good enough to play football professionally, you should always be good enough to score a free shot from 12 yards. Yet so many people don't and struggle. And that's because of their psychology. So what Southgate has done is worked with his players so much around the psychology. They've practiced with purpose so much. In the past, England players never used to practice at all. They just have a knock-around penalty shootout at the beginning of training where they all had a ball at their feet and they'd go to the spot. Right now, now Southgate has the players taking penalties after 120 minutes of hard training so they know what it feels like when they've got tired legs. He has them walking from the centre circle to the spot so they know what it feels like to do that walk. These are not replicating the conditions totally of the high pressure of a shootout, but they're coming close to it. And I read today that Germany have been practicing penalties since Saturday. That's two days' practice. Southgate's been preparing for this for three years. No, uh, that's the only thing I disagree with you, Ben. Uh, Southgate has been preparing for this for 25 years because it's the 25th anniversary of what happened to him at Wembley. That's a very good point. You know, had the Euros taken place last year when they should have done, or were scheduled to, it would be 24 years ago. It's more apt that it's the 25th anniversary of, of that particular experience for Gareth Southgate. Um, now, I know you've talked about the science a lot to do with penalties and the best way to take a penalty. And um, the two most salient ways that we witness now are... Um, the the penalty struck um, with vigor at the at the penalty taker's volition, as opposed to the other one, which is where the penalty taker dummy runs, waits for the goalkeeper to move, and tries to put the ball in the opposite direction. So speak to those if you don't mind. Okay, so they're called two different things. One is called the goalkeeper dependence method. It means you wait for the goalkeeper to make the first move and you roll the ball in the opposite corner. Matt Letizia made this method famous with 47 out of 48 scored penalties, but it's really hard. The other way is goalkeeper independence. So you pick your spot and you smash it there as hard as you can. And if the goalkeeper goes the right way, you're confident enough that it will still go in. By the way, what about yesterday for a day of competitive international football? Oh, it was, it, it was amazing. It was amazing. 5-3 in the afternoon, 3-3 in the evening. You can, you know, even 3-1 seems like a, a difficult, difficult lead to hold on to. And it just shows the power and joy 
an unpredictability that sport can bring. We never know what's going to happen next. I mean, it's great. And it also brings people together, it brings families together. We can watch it cross-generationally, which actually brings me on very subtly to my new book, Football School, which is written to get kids into reading, kids aged 7 to 12, to love reading and get them learning about the world through football. My new book is out this week. It's called Terrific Teams. And it's number 11 in the series. Uh, ben, I could keep you on literally for the next half an hour. Just very briefly, because we are way over time. Um, how did penalty shootouts come about? Um, what's the most notorious um, event in the world of penalty shootouts? Well, FIFA were looking for a fair way to side a winner uh, after teams had gone to extra time. And in the past, there was a coin toss uh, in some matches. Um, other people tried other methods, but it was seen as a penalty shootout was the fairest way. And why not? It's football reduced to its simplest form. A ball, a goal, a kicker, and a goalkeeper. And what I learned writing this book is that it's not about skill and it's not about technique. It's about nerve. It's about mindset. It's about psychology. It's pure drama. Show me someone who doesn't love a penalty shootout. It's just sport at its most exciting. And I think it's a very fair way of deciding a winner. Now, one of the big things I learned is that shootouts are not a lottery. There are ways you can improve your chances of winning in a shootout. They don't guarantee you success. And Gareth Southgate has done everything in his power to improve England's chances of winning in a shootout if it comes to it. It doesn't guarantee success. But it means if England do lose, they can't say, well, there's anything more we could have done. And it's just a lottery. All right, Ben. Are you busy today? Are people going to be on to you like I am? A little bit busy. A little bit busy. All right, mate. Well, have a great day. You've been brilliant today. Thanks so much. Thank you, Chris. Okay, Ben Littleton. He's written this book called 12 Yards. He has other books out too. Uh, Go and find him. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. If someone's worth interviewing, then our next guest has almost definitely interviewed them, and now he's getting in there early. The Southbank Show is back on Sky Arts with episode two continuing on Thursday. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't like to brag, but sometimes you just have to. It's the one and only Melvin Bragg! Good morning, Melvin! Morning, Chris. (laughs) How are you, my friend? I'm very well. All the better for talking to you. Uh, Congratulations on still being on the telly for a start. I mean, that's no mean feat, is it? Well, put that way, yes. No, but you know what I mean, Melvin? Because I was thinking yeah. about where I am in my career, and when you came on TFI, you were exactly the same age, almost to the day that I am now. You know, and if, wow. I, if I'm still doing something similar to what, what I'm doing today when I'm your age, I will be more than grateful. And you do it because you love it, so do I, and that helps you along the way. We're very lucky. We have jobs we want to do. How many South Bank shows are in the bag now, you know, over the years? It's well over a 1,000. Wow. All right. And, the and f- then all the spin-offs, it comes to even more than that. It's an enormous number, yeah. All right. Now, I have watched um, a couple of episodes of the new batch uh, for Sky Arts, and they are pretty impressive. Now, one of the most interesting ones and the most exciting ones uh, were, were a comedy duo who you interviewed called The Pin. Can you tell people about The Pin in case they're not aware? Well, The Pin are two youngish lads who met at university, and they set up as a comedy duo, and their basic trick is to send up Zoom and to do Zoom spoofs and Twitter sketches as if we're as if they well they were in a lockdown, and it just worked. And uh, then they wrote a play called The Comeback, was described as the funniest West End double act in years, and then it came off because of COVID. 
They're a clever, witty couple. You'd love, you'd love listening. No, they're very, very good, Chris. But it's so exciting, isn't it? Because you see their bright eyes. And I know they've been at it for a while, you know, as far as their lives are concerned. But we know uh, they're very much in sort of the beginning uh, of the, the whole map of what you and I have been lucky enough to experience. But you see the excitement, don't you? And you can feel the lightness with which they sort of face their day-to-day creative challenges. And it's, a, it's different, isn't it, at the beginning? This is the future. This is the young people, young people making their way. And it's terrific. And as you say, it's very, very fresh. Uh, nobody else is doing it, and I hope nobody else does it for a while until <laughs> we get a grip on it. <laughs> All right. Now, the Times Breakthrough Award has already uh, seen some uh, more than worthy recipients. So uh, we talked about a comedy duo there in the episode that I watched last night between the football, believe it or not, uh, as little time as there was, um, featured a young female writer, also a very exciting young um, male movie director. Who else is in the mix? Nick Rowland. Came from a difficult background. He's just done his first feature film, Calm With Horses. He started off, believe it or not, as a rally driver. Uh, we've, got a, we've got a woman called Ariel Smith, who's a Cuban-British choreographer. We've got visual artist Alberta Whittle. They're already, they've already achieved quite a lot, and we just hope that they'll go and achieve more and more. And it's, as, as you said as well, there's something bright-eyed about them. But above all, in this, what's going on now, you think, the arts are still going on now. When people said to Churchill, uh, we've got to cut the arts budget, he said, supposed to have said, well, what are we fighting for? Yeah, exactly. These things matter. They do matter. They're so important. And, you know, your programmes over the years, uh, fantastic and fascinating. Earlier on in the show, we I asked my co-host here to, to guess who was the first ever subject of a South Bank show. And I didn't realise, I found out yesterday, of course, which is why I asked the question, um, that it was Paul McCartney. Which, yeah. And I, I wouldn't have guessed that. What, what was it like? Where did it take place? How did it manifest itself? It took place in the Abbey Road studio, and it was about six hours late for the interview. Um, I decided... <laughs> that what we were going to do in the South Bank show that was different, I was going to try to treat pop music every bit as seriously as classical music, television drama, every bit as serious, seriously as West End drama, have stand-up comics as, as, as well as poets, and make the whole art scene look and be different because that's what it seemed to me to be like. He took a bit of catching because he was still suffering, licking his wounds from the terrible quarrel with Lennon. But eventually he said yes, and he turned up at Abbey Studio, and uh, he was brilliant. He's, he's, a, he's a brilliant man. What year was that, Melvin? That was 78, beginning of January 78. I'll film it in 77. Who was, the, who was the, the biggest enigma that actually ag- agreed to be interviewed by you? Uh, that's really tricky. I mean, all right, Laurence Olivier. Why? Because she's such an unbelievably good actor that you both believed and disbelieved a lot of what he said. Interesting, <laughs> interesting. I didn't think he was fibbing. But I didn't think he was telling the truth either. It was, it was, it was, it was cat and mouse, and uh, he was the cat, and I was the mouse. <laughs> it should be the, usually is the other way around, to be honest. That's uh, right. What was Gore Vidal like? Quickly, sorry, we're over time, but I want to know what Gore Vidal was like. It was, it was pompous. He was witty. He was bitchy. He'd just been to a christening and said, "I was the Godfather, always the Godfather, never the God." And who was your favourite? Oh, Hockney, perhaps. Oh, I interviewed David yeah. Hockney several times, and uh, he's uh, he's something else. I mean, Hockney is one of the very few I've ever met whose currency is happiness. Yeah, it's it is, isn't it? It's joy, it's happiness, it's colour. Yeah. And do, do you think that's all because of you know uh, post World War Two and modernism and you know uh, brighter horizons and things like that? 
Yeah, see, there's, that has its real place, and there's some. Like Bacon was a, a seriously uh, uh, tormented man, yeah. and his tormented painting and so on. And he perhaps, in some league table, is a. But you don't have league tables in the arts, Chris. I mean, yeah. you have people who are good at things, and it's not a league table. It's how you're as good as you can be. Uh, but Hockney is distinguished by this extraordinary gift he has mm. for for be, for making his paintings happy and for making you happy by looking at the painting. And it's, it's such a sort of lens on nature. It's so reflective and it's so precise, isn't it? It's it's yeah. it's, it's understated in how precise his paintings are from yeah. a, a drafting yeah. point of view. I think. I he's... mean, David Hockney gets up about five thirty every morning, mm. every morning, Chris, yeah. and starts to work. Yeah, that's the way. So do I. <laughs> there you are. I knew I'd find. It. There we are. We have a common factor. Who's <laughs> Hockney Evans? <laughs> Melvin, it's great to talk to you again. Uh, well done for for keeping on, keeping on. And by the way, uh, the quality's as good as it's ever been. And brand new artists, brand new creatives, uh, which is what the future needs. Because without them, there is no future. Melvin, congratulations and thanks for coming on the show. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Walk, jog or run, our next guest makes it all a celebration. Today marks 40 years since the first ever Great North Run and here to tell us all about it is the man whose idea fired the starter pistol on the whole thing. Please welcome someone that's great, northern and a runner. It's Sir Brendan Foster. Good morning, Sir Brendan. Good, good morning. Oh. You sound like you're having a great morning there. Well, we we're saw, having a great morning here. We sort of tried to do it right. Tell us exactly what you've done, what you've achieved already this morning and it's only 10 to 9, Brendan. Well, we've, uh, we reassembled the... Uh, for the 40th birthday, we've reassembled the finish of the Great North Run, and right. we've selected 40 people to join us, socially distanced, running together across the finish line, including myself, to finish the 13.1-mile challenge. Um, tell us about the, the, the birth of the Great North Run. Tell us where you were, um, who you talked to about it. T- tell us, like, the, the year before or the few weeks before, how did it come to be? Well, the year before, I was training in New Zealand for the Olympic Games with Dave Moorcroft. We ran a fun run in New Zealand, in Auckland, and about 10,000 people ran. We'd never seen anything like that. So I decided when I retired after the Olympics in 1980 that we would try and do something ourselves. And we organised an event called the Great North Run. And on our first day, we had 12,000 runners. It was the biggest event that ever happened in this country. It's been the biggest ever since. Has, has the course ever changed, or has it always been the one we see on the telly? It's the one you see on the telly. Starts. The inspiration came from Auckland and New Zealand. And I decided to start in the city centre in Newcastle and finish in the, on the on the seafront of South Shields, which is where we are today. And the sun is shining, and everyone's happy. Everyone's celebrating. They're all telling the stories about how many Great North runs they've run, and there's plenty of people here celebrating they've run them all. So we're having a great day, uh, and it's a great occasion. And the Great North Run will happen. We'll be announcing d- details this morning, but the Great North Run is scheduled to happen on the 12th of September. And our plan is to go ahead with it. OK, now we've been talking about um, the London Marathon weekend. We're running it again physically. Last year we ran it virtually. Uh, there's a virtual 50,000 as well as the physical 50,000 uh, that has been open to ballot this year. We're also encouraging people to just self-curate their own marathon around that weekend and try and get the most people running ever in the UK. Um, do you have a similar initiative with the Great North Run? Well, the Great North Run's always been the biggest in the UK, so it's, I'm delighted to hear that you're... Yes, Yourselves and the London Marathon are trying to beat us. That's great news, but we'll be doing our best. We're working hard here, and we've got um, big plans for the big thing this year. It's going to be called the Great Northern Thank You. Wow. Um, and that's we're going to thank. And the starters this year, instead of being celebrities, will be 
NHS workers, and oh, we're going to stand them on the rostrum in Newcastle, and they're going to they're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate them. So it's a big year this year for everybody. I'm delighted to hear those plans from London, and we've got some plans ourselves, and. And they look forward over the next few weeks and months. Well, we know that uh, since lockdown, since COVID, uh, a mi- rather ironically, since we, we've been able to get out less, more than a million more people are running in the UK this year than last year. And you see it everywhere you go, Brendan. It, it's just such a joyful thing, isn't it? Because I took to running very late, well, very late, you know, when I was 48. I'd ne- never really run at all before. But more and more people are getting into it, getting into it. The, the brands, Solomon, the brand Solomon and all the other brands are involved, you know, having the, having the the best years of their businesses um, can you speak to anyone who's sort of still just they still just need one more nudge into getting their old running shoes out from under the stairs and getting out there and putting one foot in front of the other I, I think that's a great message Chris that you're that you're you're sending out there and I think the incredible thing was in the in the heights of despair last year when Boris Johnson came on the TV to tell us that we could we had to stay at home and, and, and socially distance. And the one thing he did say, which was most significant of all, was daily exercise, running, walking, cycling, should be part of a healthy lifestyle. I mean, we didn't realize when we were young runners that going out running every day was, it was for us to be better runners. But we didn't realize what people have been telling us. It's so good for your mental health. And, and when you think about it, you've got a stressful day at work, and these days it's even more stressful when you've got a COVID issues to worry about. But then you've got a, a relaxing couple of hours or an hour even to yourself to run, walk. And I think that's, that's, that's the mission. If we can get more people, let's face it, if we get more people out there breathing and pushing their heart rates up and shuffling, running, walking, cycling, then we might have achieved something in our lives. Apparently there's a film been made about the Great North Run, which is going to be released around the same weekend as this year's run itself. That's right. We're, we've been working on this film, and it was obviously postponed last year, but they've been filming. And it's the story of the Great North Run um, being a constant in town, Tyneside, over the last 40 years. Whilst the whole environment's changed, the last pit closed, the last ship was built, the, uh, the shipyards were all closed, everything changed, engineering disappeared. And so now we're talking about here's a constant, which is the Great North Run which flows like the river from Newcastle to the coast, to the sea. Uh, and we've got Gina McKee doing the voiceover and Terry Deary's written it. We've got music by Mark Knopfler and Sting. We've got some great... It's a movie that you'll enjoy, Chris, I'm sure. Right, right. We need to talk briefly about your mate Steve Cramp. So we have our little oh, running, yeah. running festival, Run Fest Run, and Steve's one of our team captains. Now, you know, he, we have him on video. We have serious video evidence of him cheating. Vast us over to you. Yeah, so what, there, there are oh, four team captains, God. Brendan. Hey, Brendan. And, um, hey. and Steve's one of them, and Paula, who you know really well, is one of them, and so is Colin Jackson and Chris's wife, Natasha. Yeah, they all yeah. want their team to win and it culminates on a Sunday morning everyone's trying to to to, you know, to, to encourage their team to win. And Paula does it in the, 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 the correct way the correct by just giving way, them yeah. a pep talk and sending them on their way. What Steve does is steal stuff from other teams to help his team to win. Brazenly, uh, Brendan, well, brazenly. That is, that, well, that's a little bit of a shock because when I, when I used to look after him as a young man, I trained him in all the proper ways to do things, and I'm very, very sad to hear that he's a renegade. He's going back on his, <laughs> on his originals, and it's, it's such a shock. But actually, for a Sunderland supporter, he's, uh, you know, he's, and as a Newcastle supporter, and as a rivalry we've had for many, many years, 
But I'm really disappointed he's taken to these kind of actions. Surely he must have <laughs> tested positive for jelly tots at the age of 12 or 13 or something like that. Come on. Well, I'll tell you what, now you've said that, I'm going to go back to the track and go back to the video which shows him breaking the world record. I'm just yeah. going to count the number of laps he ran. You just, you just look, look for signs of opal fruits in his socks, pal. So, Brendan Foster, what a guy. The Great North Run Sunday, 12th of September 2021. Find out more. Greatrun.org slash north is where you need to go. What a joy to talk to Sir Brendan Foster on your radio show. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Tomorrow night, the nation will be on the edge of its seat. The crowds will gather and chanting will fill the air. All because our next guest is headlining the Marlowe Comedy Weekender. That's two sets at 6pm and 9pm with nothing in between. Please welcome someone that luckily hates football. It's John Bishop! Well, the thing is, he doesn't <laughs> at all. Good morning, John. Good morning, Chris. What an introduction, that is. I know, pretty good. Uh, first of all, uh, where did you watch the last England game? I watched the last England game. I was in my house. I watched it at home. OK, how was it for you from a nerve point of view? A nerves point of view? Nervous. Oh, no, I'm lying, actually. The last one I watched in my trailer in Cardiff, because I'm filming Doctor Who, so yes, we filmed are. at 5 o'clock and I walked straight into the trailer watched it there. Right, on so, your own? No support? No, one of the other actors came in and joined me halfway through after he got all his prosthetics taken off. <laughs> right, so what are we going to do tomorrow? I've got a ticket for your gig tomorrow in Marlow, right. uh, in Higginson Park. Now, um, I was there last night. I watched Russell Howard and I watched Mark Watson and the gang and they smashed it. It was beautiful. Uh, full houses. Uh, tonight, Simon Amstel's there. I think you can get a few tickets for Simon still. Let's give him a shout out. The alfresco.theatre.co.uk slash Marlow. Simon Amstel. Doesn't get any better than Simon on a Friday in an alfresco theatre in your local park. But tomorrow, um, I'm hearing that they're going to show the first half of the match just before you come on, well, it's 45 minutes, so, you know, for the 45 minutes before, yeah. uh, and then then you have the choice, the option to come on and, uh, you know, give, give, give us a solid gold hour of John Bishop um, fun laughter and thoughts and philosophy, or they keep the big match on uh, and you just talk about what we're seeing on the screen. What, what, <laughs> what are you thinking, John? Because <laughs> he's yeah. And I said, Mark, this is just, this is a disaster. What are we going to do? <laughs> and he said, there'll be televisions back screen. And because you're the headline act, we might, we'll have a little bit between. So you might be able to come on when there's only 10 minutes left. I said, that's even worse. So I think they'll probably show it before. And then there'll be a vote. So cool. Should we carry on watching this and do the gig later or what? That's what I think should happen. Democracy should rule. Yeah, well, I thought that's what you might do. I mean, will you come out on stage and say all this? I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think this is this is the only way forward. We can't we can't rob. Imagine doing a gig knowing everybody is really just watching the phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean they won't because you're so good. You sold out straight away. They're so looking forward to see. You. I can't wait to see you again, John, just to say hello, but also to watch you do what you do amazingly. But I mean, your what would your vote? You know, where would you cash your vote in that particular election? Well, well, there's, there's, there's two ways, isn't it? Because one thing is let's enjoy the moment, and then afterwards we'll find out the results. Yeah, and and it'll be more joy or a little bit of disappointment. Because the worst thing is we watch the game get beat, and then someone comes on and goes, oh, come on, let's cheer up. 
<laughs> oh, you don't want you don't want to be that guy. You don't want a flat audience, do you? No, and that is that would that would be you would be the guy. I see. What about this, John? What about um, what about with three 0 up at half time and it's a done deal and people go, yeah, yeah actually, because yeah. it could be that way. There's going to not going to be no one near as much atmosphere in the stadium. It could be quite a flat experience, and you know, basically, we want to bring on Wembley and Wednesday next Wednesday. I mean, in a way, we might need you for the second half because it might be a non-event. Let's hope Absolutely. it goes that way. And that's exactly how I build myself. Book John Bishop to follow a non-event. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Pay for the pleasure. It is a scenario where the comedian, i.e. myself, could be in front and the game could just be getting played. And <laughs> I'll, I'll say whatever words get said and know that I'm being ignored. And let's be honest, I've been married long enough to be used to that. Yeah, yeah. And people would just watch the screen. I just know, Chris, this is a huge dilemma. The country's going through so many things. Everyone's wondering when we're going to get out of lockdown. Everyone's wondering what's going to happen. This is this problem facing the nation. How to play a gig when really there's something more important going on. All right. Now, I know, you know, it's it's first world problem. And it's definitely a first world entertainment problem. But have you ever faced the challenge, anything com- coming close to anything like this in your past? I've never had a clash with something like this. Never. There's never been... There's never been a date with a, a gig with class. There's been a few matches that have gone, oh, would have been nice to have gone there. I, I, I remember when I recorded my first ever DVD, uh, and you booked things so far in advance, at the Liverpool Empire. So there was two, just over 2,000 people, and it was going to be great. We booked it on a Sunday. I was looking forward to it, and then the fixtures got changed. And so it was the day of the Liverpool-Everton derby. So I was doing a gig off the audience being Everton supporters, half of them being Liverpool supporters, half <laughs> of them were completely fed up and didn't want to be there, and half of them were just already drunk when they walked in. All right, OK, so you got previous. All right, John. Um, are you still in Cardiff? Are you still making Doctor Who today? Uh, no, I'm home today. I have the day off today, but, yeah, still making it right up till till, till I go on tour in September. OK, what can you tell us about it without giving away hardly anything? Just give us a bit of inside skinny. All I can say is it's brilliant. Jody is fantastic. Mandip is the other companion with me or the other doctor's friend. And it's, it's everything that you imagine. When you turn up and you get a day on the TARDIS, it's like being a kid then. It's <laughs> of course it unbelievable. Is. It's great, isn't it? Uh, we do have the best jobs in the world. I was rubbish at sport. We were talking about it on Wednesday. I was rubbish at sport, but I've still got to play l- cricket at Lords. Yeah. Um, I've got to play golf at St Andrews. Um, I've got to work on the Ryder Cup. I've hosted the Masters live from Augusta. I've played football at Wembley nine times, and I was rubbish at sports at school. And here's you in the TARDIS as your company transport. I know it, it. It is. It is when when you take those moments, yeah. and particularly we've all had an opportunity to reflect on stuff, and you go, "Oh my God, we could have been doing a normal job." I know we're so lucky, you know, aren't we? Oh, so so lucky. We're so, so lucky. lucky. Um, but you're a little bit unlucky tomorrow night. I can't wait to see what happens, John. I'll, I'll come okay. come and glad hand you backstage if that's all right before whatever happens yeah, happens. Yeah, looking forward to seeing. All right, mate. Cheers, John. John Bishop, live from wherever he was, um, with a pretty big showbiz dilemma tomorrow night. What's going to happen? The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio.
Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky.